Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in the City of Los Angeles, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver, coming to you live on 26 global audio and video platforms like iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, and the list goes on and on. In fact, we are proud to be voted at number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM. And number two, Caregiver Podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60. And number two on Caring Village. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Dana Golden and David Marion. Am I saying that right? You are. Well, good for me. (laughs) Addiction specialists reveal similarities with caregiver relationships. David Marion and Dana Golden are co-authors of Addiction Rescue, the No BS Guide to Recovery. David, having lived through multiple addictions, among them opioids and gambling, lost everything from his family to his multi-million dollar brokerage firm to five years of his life in federal prison. Wow. All due to his addictions. He is now a nationally recognized public speaker, certified intervention professional, and certified recovery coach. Dana lived on the other side of addiction, navigating through the wreckage of David, caused her and their two daughters. So you two are married or used to be married, yes? Still used married? to be married, yes. Okay, and you were back together again for some uh, business uh, endeavor, yes? Exactly. Interesting. Okay, so you've got uh, two daughters as she kept wellness and balance in a home with active addiction. That's not easy. (laughs) She's now a certified family recovery coach and certified recovery coach. They're passionate about spreading the message of hope and healing and working with families affected by substance use disorder. What family is not affected by this? It's a very good topic that you guys are doing. Anyway, before I get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, David Crocker, The Ways Caregivers Can Care for Themselves. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, including this one at caregiverdave.com or any of the other 26 global audio video platforms I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. David and Dana, welcome to the Caregiver Dave show. We're so excited to have you on. Thanks, Thank Dave. you. <laughs> yep. <So I laughs> That's what happens like... when you have two of us at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. You know, sometimes caregivers, uh, let's say a spousal caregiver, let's say they... Uh, they break up, they get a divorce or whatever, even before any of them get sick. And then one of them gets sick. It's, it's very common that the ex-spouse will go and be the caregiver to the other ex-spouse. And I think that's just so incredible. And here we have something going on here because you see a, a greater gold. Uh, you don't want to have happened to others what happened to you guys. And whether or not uh, you can ever put your marriage back together again or not, it doesn't matter because you're both helping others. And who knows what the future holds anyway, right? Yes. You're right. There's you always never hope. know. There's always <laughs> hope. I just thought I'd throw that in <laughs> in case you haven't thought about it. Right. Anyway, I like to ask my guests, and I'll give you a turn. Ladies first. Who is Dana and why was she placed on this earth? 
Oh, wow. That's not too heavy of a question. Yeah, we're heavy here. Um, why, who, who am I? So um, I grew up in an addictive home and, uh, and learned very early on enabling codependent behaviors um, to navigate through that household. Um, uh, my dad was the addict. I kind of became the keeper of his secrets and his emotional well-being. Where was your mom? She was there. You know, she was raising two kids and she didn't want to be bothered. So I was sent into the rescue. She was um, not an addict, but she was codependent. The yep. enabler. Yep. Yep. Okay. As, as was I. We you all... had to become an enabler. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I was exactly. put in a, in a position at an early oh. age to not pay attention to me or my feelings. So when you ask me who I am, it took me a long time to figure that out because I was just whoever my dad wanted me to be. Right. Daddy's a little girl and trying to placate him and whatnot. So um, how long did anyways, that go on for, by the way, until you were how old? Until well, I was 18. And then my mom divorced my dad because she thought staying, you know, till I was the youngest and out of the house would be the most beneficial thing for the kids, which, as we all know, probably isn't the best <laughs> idea. Um, but that, you know, that was then. This is now. Uh, but then I went on to find relationships that emulated my home life because that's where I was comfortable. And so I sought out other addicts. And um, oh. and when I met David, he was a recovering addict. And I thought, oh, good. I found a good one. He's already been through uh, his stuff. He's evolved. He knows how to stay sober now. So I've got a good one. I had gotten myself in recovery. And so I could unlearn those enabling behaviors and learn to be more authentic to myself um, but David and I both relapsed after he had knee surgery. He got addicted oh. to the painkillers, um, opioid um, opiates, and um, and I went right back into my enabling, um, you know, denial behavior. And so now, uh, fast forward to where we are today, we had a story to tell, which is why we co-authored a book um, to help other addicts, and we both became very involved in the recovery community as interventionists and recovery coaches and family addiction coaches. And I really feel my place on earth is to help other families navigate um, with mm. their loved one that's dealing and struggling with addiction. Wow. That's a great answer. Uh, David, why were you placed on this earth? It's a $64,000 question. <laughs> right? Two greatest days of our life. The day we're born, the day we realize why we're born. And, um, I truly believe when somebody is struggling with addiction and they find their purpose, their gift seems to illuminate. Mm. And for me, finding my purpose took me a long time to understand what this thing called life is about. That the more we make our life about other people, the better we feel, right? Yeah. When you're riddled with addictions, you're selfish, self-centered, egotistical. It's all about me. And we begin to remove that. And it took me a long time. It actually probably happened in federal prison. Um, and in case your listeners are interested. Yeah, what are you in for? Uh, well, I was in for a little money laundering, uh, wire fraud, mail fraud, conspiracy. Oh. To commit. Um <clears throat> But 90% of the people in there are innocent. So, uh, you know, you go along with it. No, it's prison is definitely punitive damages, right? It's not about rehabilitation. Rehabilitation comes from within. Right. And if you're willing to do the work and if you're willing to really dig in and figure this stuff out, 
you begin to see how life has meaning and what your purpose is. Oh, good answer. So how do you compare addictions with caregiver burnout or what caregivers go through? Well, when we love someone that has an addiction, we tend to do a lot of the same behaviors as caretakers are doing for their, I don't know if it's always a loved one, but whoever they're taking care of, right? Um, Caregivers as well as, I'm sorry, the patient, the client, very similar to an addict, doesn't do a whole lot for themselves. You know, Mm. they're looking to their caregiver. They're looking to enable them. An enabler, yeah. Yeah, to enable them to not have to be responsible and do things for themselves. And the more the um, loved one of an addict or the caregiver steps in, the less that person has to take on for responsibilities for themselves. And so um, I think that enabling codependent piece uh, is very parallel in both roles. So uh, my response is a little different, but (laughs) the question being how the difference between caretaker burnout and what we do. Yeah. It's a spiritual axiom. I can't do it. You can't do it, but I invite my higher power in to remove the um, burnout sensation and keep feeding me with the spirit. There's great feelings attached to that. And you don't get burnt out. You know, when you're in the front line fighting addiction, you're going to see things you can't believe. Same thing as being on the front line as a caretaker. You're going to see a lot of people falling in front of you, a lot of people dying, a lot of people going to jail. Right? Yeah. I have to connect myself in a way differently. Otherwise, there's going to be burnout. And the people that are burning out, I don't believe, are reaching out to exterior sources for help. Yeah, and they don't know what they don't know. Um, how long did it take you as a professional enabler, Dana, to uh, put on your oxygen mask first? <laughs> um, it took me till I was in my 20s. I, uh, I had a boyfriend at the time that went into treatment, um, another one along the way that was an addict. And when he went to treatment, his um, counselor, I, t- I, I made it a point to tell his counselor all the things that were wrong with him and that they needed to fix. And uh, she just looked at me and handed me a pamphlet and said, go to Al-Anon. And I said, no, 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 I don't need to go anywhere. I, I don't have a problem. I'm not, you know, he's the one that needs fixing, not me. And she just said, go to Al-Anon. So that was my first foray into uh, that I had a part in all of this. And well, It's amazing that you went. Most people wouldn't. How did well, I was going to be the dutiful girlfriend. Okay. Of course I would go. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going for him. I wasn't going for me. Cool. But I... But I quickly learned that it was for me and, um, and that uh, the three C's were the first thing that I learned. You cannot, you didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. And so with that, I got a lot of relief right there because that was me. I was trying to fix people all the time. And you can't. People have um, to work on fixing themselves. That's right. I can be a fixer too, but I gave that up a long time because I'm an auto mechanic. You know, when something breaks, so I fix it. So how former spouses come back together to work with families in the addiction, in the addiction space, which is what you guys did. Um, what were you thinking? <laughs> well, <laughs> Whose I idea was it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I told David when he was in prison that we had a good story to tell. And if he could, you know, straighten out his life like he has, which I knew he had the potential to, because I knew when I met him, the potential that was there. I said, we can help other people. So I said, write down everything, write down all your stories, how you felt, where this journey has taken you. 
and uh, and I'm the writer. I'll put it into a book. And so you're still um, kind of enabling at that point, right? Because you you're still trying to fix them. And yeah, you, we have a story. We can do a book. We'll be okay. Was that what's going on in your mind? Yeah, I think a lot of it was um, knowing that we had a journey of helping other families repair from the damage, um, because most people that are in addictive relationships, when they come to an end, they don't, they don't talk again. They don't repair those relationships. They're just right. done. And we had two daughters. So we, I wasn't going to let that happen. And I also know that there's a difference between David, Mary, and the guy and the disease of addiction. And David was a great guy. He just had this terrible disease that was causing all the wreckage. So, um, and I tell families that you have to learn to separate the person from the disease, they don't want to do this to you. They don't want to do this to themselves. They have a bad disease. Uh, do you still love David? And David, do you still love Dana? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I really appreciate it's what you guys are doing love, together. Though. Pardon? I think love evolves differently. Yeah. You know, we're not how would you How would you define your love for each other today? Um, what does love mean to you guys today? It means being there for each other, caring, supporting, understanding. Um, you know, I could use all the different narratives and words, sure. but it's, um, you know. You, you always know. have each other's best interest in mind. Yeah. yeah. You have children in common. Yeah. yeah. We, we can go out as a family. Um, you know, David lives in Florida. I live in Minnesota. Our kids, one lives in Chicago and one in Florida near David. So we don't get together that often, but when we do, we, we are a family, you know, we're just not God, a married God couple. forbid if one of you, you know, had a, uh, an illness, the other one would probably be the caregiver if it was feasible and uh, practical. Uh, are you guys yeah. married to other people or what's going on? No, we both have other significant others. Okay. Yeah, well, that can that could complicate that uh, caregiver scenario. <laughs> but you never enough. know. Well, yeah, uh, there was a show on called Reba, <laughs> and uh, if you knew the the story of that one, uh, her and her ex uh, were ex, and and um, he married some uh, young bimbo, and uh, they lived close together, and uh, she just loved Reba, and they she wanted to be her best friend and all that, so she you know tolerated her. Anyway, moving on from that, <laughs> how your book, Addiction Rescue, the No BS Guide to Recovery is Helping Families. Let's talk about your book. Well, the book is a um, really comprehensive, everything you could want to know and want to learn and uh, about addiction and recovery from, hey, do I have an addiction? Is it a problem? What are, what are the signs? What do I need to look at? How do I know? Um, and then there's a five-step process to get into and stay in recovery that we have. And, and then it's about um, the aftercare. It's about how to heal body, mind, and spirit because addiction wrecks all three areas of life. And it's a really comprehensive book of how to get all those back and your relationships as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, burnout. Did you guys ever burn out in all that you were doing? Yeah, I think prior to getting into this field, there was a lot of burnout. You know, we owned a gold and silver brokerage firm for many years, had many, many employees. Half of them were in recovery. The other half needed recovery. Mm -hmm. And it's very taxing and trying. And it's always, um, you know, pushing harder and harder and harder. Performance pressure, right, which leads you to burnout. 
always having to make the numbers, having to, you know, pay these absorbent bills and things like that. And yeah. attached to that is exhausting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think in our line of work, as in caregiver lines of work, um, you definitely can experience burnout. I think it really takes separating the job that we do or that a caregiver does from the person that they're trying to relate to and trying to help and setting boundaries. I mean, that's a huge thing in both instances where you have to know your place and you have to know the other person's place and you don't cross those lines. And if you're going to set a boundary, you got to be ready to adhere to it. Yeah. You know, also as a, uh, as an interventionist, you know, you're going to hear some of the most unbelievable stories. You're going to hear some really authentic emotional stuff that families are often say, uh, we've never told anyone this before, you know, things that are so powerful that um, you better learn how to really do your job the right way. Because emotionally, if you get hooked into this, of course, you're going to burn out on this. Right. Yeah. So I know that once I'm wearing that hat that I'm doing a job as an interventionist, you know, I often say I put this shield up, spiritual shield that can't be pierced <laughs> because I have to be the voice of reason through this. Um, you know, I can give you stories that just blow your mind of uh, these interventions of how emotional they are and what truly happens um, in there. And it's, um, I could see how people do burn out from this. They let it affect them and take this thing really personally. And yes, there have been times that I've been got emotional for some of the clients and the families and hearing this stuff. But at the same time, I'm hired to do a job. And that is to get their loved one to a safe place, to get them to treatment, to get the baseline of happiness for the family back to a level it hasn't been before and proceed from there. So how do you do this together when you're in two different states? Well, obviously the interventions are all across the country. Um, so there's always travel involved with that. And then we can work by so Zoom. You do travel there. This isn't a Zoom thing, right? No. Uh, for our recovery, our recovery coaching, if yeah. they're not in our area, then yes, it's all done by Zoom. And phone calls and texts. Interventions are done in person, yes. And do they all need interventions? Do they all need interventions? Do People they start with intervention or some don't have to start with an intervention? Some don't have to start with interventions. Some people are willing. The family just doesn't have, don't know how to have the conversation with them. Um, and so we'll guide them along those ways. Uh, we get calls all the time from people all over the country that we want to bring our loved one to a facility. What do we do? Wow. A lot of times it's information seeking. And it's, a lot of times they are, we are the last call. How do they know about you? Where are you advertising? We have a website called theliferecoverycoach.com. Theliferecoverycoach.com. So you got and, some good keywords in there. If someone's looking for recovery, you yeah, pop up. Absolutely. Um, I've also done a lot of work with different treatment centers that use me as a okay. preferred word provider. of mouth. Yeah. Word of mouth. I mean, I, you know, had a psychiatrist in Houston reaching out. Never met him before. I had a therapist in Gillette, Wyoming yesterday calling me. Um, never met him. A social worker in New Orleans who've heard about our work peripherally. Wow. That we've done work in. Now, a lot of people have this need, you know, in their family, but uh, no insurance. They can't afford it. What does it cost to get involved in this? Well, it depends. We work on a sliding scale. Hmm. 
I'm not going to let any person, you know, just because they can't afford an intervention. It's for uh, you. We're willing to help them and get them and their loved one into treatments. I do a lot of <laughs> a lot of work that I don't get paid on as well. <laughs> Dana, we, are you also working, doing the same thing in your neighborhoods? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And one thing that's very important is I tell my families is you don't have to wait for your loved one to get into recovery to get, but to get into recovery yourself, because the sooner a family can get into recovery and start putting up those boundaries and stop the enabling behavior and stop the denial, the sooner their loved one gets uncomfortable and needs to do something different because these families, if they don't do anything different, you know, if you don't change anything, nothing's going to change. And they, yeah. So that's the best way for them to steer their loved one to treatment or doing something different is by doing something different themselves. Yeah. Now, curious minds uh, need to know, as they say, and I, I have a curious mind. <laughs> what what kind of significant others did you both find? I mean, do they have a, an addictive background or, or nothing to do with that? Uh, are they jealous of your relationship? I guess they would be more so if you were in the same town together, but being in different states is kind of a nice little buffer. Uh, okay, how about, that how, situation. About, how about this one, caregiver Dave? <laughs> when David got out of prison... Um, <clears throat> He was in prison here in Minnesota. He only moved to Florida a year ago. So you're in Minnesota. Okay. I'm in Minnesota. This is where we were married. This is where we raised our kids. Um, when he was getting out of prison, the options for him were a halfway house or at home. And at the time, home was where I was because that's where the kids, well, the kids were just off to college. And my kids told me, if you don't let dad live with you, we'll never speak to you again. Really? Do not let him go to a halfway house. And at the time I had my, my significant other. Because we've been, uh, we'd already been together quite a while. So David, so we're going into, into a house. Reba episode here. Yeah, <laughs> David moved into the house, and um, and I lived with David for quite a long time. Moved out. Pardon? And the boyfriend moved out. Oh, so he wasn't. He wasn't okay with that. <laughs> no, he wasn't living here. He wasn't living here. We had our separate homes. Okay. Um. Yeah. So uh, he knew the situation. He's like, hey, if it was my ex-wife, I'd do the same thing. And okay. so he's he's always been extremely understanding of um, my compassion for David and our relationship that we still have with our kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he, I mean, it's it got testy at times, you know, it, I should say it was testing at times for him, you know, but it all worked out good. And um, David, since he's moved to Florida, has his girlfriend down there. And why did you move, David? Um, I had enough of the cold. <laughs> I did. I'd spend... And you're okay with the cold, Dana. I love the cold. I hate the heat. I wouldn't. You'd never catch me dead in Florida. Yeah. All right. So you were okay with him moving away? Oh yeah, yeah. Super happy for him. He, I mean, he complained the whole time we were married about the cold. I can't do these winters, you know, I knew it. Yeah. And he's only like uh, 15 minutes away from our daughter that lives down there. So that's oh, awesome. Okay. Maybe. So you each have a kid. <laughs> living well, I've got one in Chicago. She's six hours away, but you oh, know, well, that's yeah. yeah. Six hours by drive or by plane? No, by, by drive. Yeah. Yeah. By drive. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on the hour. Um, I don't think I covered everything I wanted to cover. Uh, why don't you take the next couple of minutes and talk about what you uh, would have liked to have spoken about if you were controlling the show. <laughs> Actually, you got about five minutes. Uh, I think we touched on a lot of good things. Um, you know, it's Caregiver Dave show. I do want to tell you that until last November, I was a caregiver for three years. Um, oh. I took care of a friend's mom. I ended up moving in with her. 
And that was how I ended up moving out from the house with David. <laughs> uh, and and uh, that was for two years. She had broken her kneecap and couldn't be on her own. So I said, hey, I'll come live with you. And I just never left. And the kids um, were still living with David. No, the kids have been gone for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They graduated why, high school. Why did they want you? Why did they want David to come into your house as opposed to a halfway house? What was, what was their thinking? Well, they didn't want their dad living, you know, in a unfamiliar place with unfamiliar people in an uncomfortable situation. And they knew he'd be happier at home, you know, and well, they a- knew, they knew his problem and what he was going through and he, he still needed to learn. Uh, were they enablers too, or no? You know, each daughter handled it very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really interesting that as we always say, kids can grow up in the same home and be completely different. One had a lot of compassion for David and always wanted to be there for him. The other one was more like, I'm out of here. You know, like, I don't want to deal with, with what's going on. So uh, yeah, very different attitudes, but very loving towards him. And of course the relationships now are better than ever. And uh, they're both very, very Good. close. Hey, it's all about relationship and family and, and uh, you know, a little speed bump in the road. Uh, you're one of the lucky ones. A lot of people just never get over this. Unfortunately, well, you hear the stories all the time, you know, yeah. I'll never forgive my ex-wife or my ex-husband, you know, I'll never even talk to her again and I'll never do this. And I say, wow, that's a lot of effort to hold on to that anger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies, by the way. That's yeah, we, say the, we say the that's same thing in addiction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, my point was, is that uh, she passed away last November, but I took care of her for three years and lived with her uh, full time. So, you know, did you suffer burnout in your caregiving or did you learn something from addiction about that? You know, I really didn't suffer burnout. Um, uh, She was a wonderful person to take care of. She didn't cause me any issues where it made me say, what am I doing? I don't want to do this. You know, she, we had a great relationship and that she was very respectful of me and my time and having a life outside of her and me knowing she was my priority and that I would never leave her hanging. So it was, it was a good balance between the two of us. She drank and smoked until the day she died. (laughs) How old was that? 87 with (laughs) COPD. Well, God bless her. <laughs> yeah, having to take her oxygen off so she could smoke, you know, and then putting the oxygen back on. So let me ask you, what's the difference between being a caregiver who probably doesn't give themselves enough time to take care of themselves, the self-care, and uh, being a codependent person? Uh, is there any difference between those two? No, there's a lack of self-care in either way because you're too worried and tied up and emotionally invested in the other person. And it all leads to a a lack of self-care. Yeah. What's the the fix for that? I know we're not supposed to use the word fix, but... Solution. The solution. Thank you. (laughs) The solution to self-care? is always self-care isn't it yeah Yeah, taking the time out for yourself i mean we have a whole list of ways to raise dopamine levels just naturally and that's that's self-care it's about eating good it's about drinking plenty of water it's about getting enough sleep it's about getting out of nature what you know whatever those things are that make you happy and make you feel fulfilled and empower you those are the things you have to take advantage of on a daily basis and you know um caregivers that are burned out uh is at epidemic levels. There's only 10%. Here's a stats. There's only 10% of caregivers who are healthy and take care of themselves. 30% of them 
don't do it uh, to a point where they actually get sicker and die before their loved ones do. And then the other 50 or so percent, they become sicker, become hospitalized and need a caregiver of their own. So that's how bad it is. Uh, 70 to 80 percent of to 90 percent of caregivers really are unhealthy and would be labeled codependent people. Yeah, they're not they're not helping the person they serve when right. they're not taking care of them. It's just like, you know, it, what, what do we say about the mom? You know, when the mom is happy, the rest of the family is happy. Yeah. Or the person on the plane. You know, if you don't to put your mask on first, you're both going to faint from oxygen. You're both out of commission, you know. Exactly. Yeah. We teach our families our mom, you know, uh, your siblings will probably put her in a nursing home because they don't have the compassion you do. And I try to tell caregivers that all the time, but it's like talking to, to drug addicts and like talking to uh, codependency addicts, uh, you know, they just don't get it. You know, that term codependency is just so overused. Today. Oh, yeah. Really what's, what's a better term? Enablers? Uh, no, I think that. An over-functioner. People overfunction over and let other people underfunction. I like that. But I think yeah. part of it is also everyone is going to be codependent, right? If you have kids, if you have a loved one, significant other, uh, come on, you're going to have that dependency towards yeah. that. That's why kids are so spoiled being, today, is because they're they're doing too much for them. Well, the difference being is that it's done through the healthy boundaries and healthy pathways that you're creating to create healthy codependency mm-hmm. rather than the unhealthy codependency where the term came from when Melanie Beattie wrote that book about her husband Dave Beattie who actually worked for me for many years died of alcoholism um yeah you know the book he's talking about no codependent no more I've heard of the book but I haven't read it believe it or not yeah it's uh I should put it on my list (laughs) especially with what I do yes exactly yeah well, yeah. thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Any last uh, tips uh, besides take care of yourself, take care of caregivers? I, I think after hearing that statistic that you just laid out that I'm going to become a coach for caregivers. You know, and, uh, not just write them. down your alley and, and you can right. kill two birds with one stone. You can yeah. put caregivers and uh, over-functioners, if you want to call them that, in the same room together and preach the same sermon, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I have a quiz on a website where people can actually take the quiz and find out what role they play in those Ooh. relationships. Um, it's uh, danagolden.com slash quiz. Oh. And I have a quiz that lets people know, are you a candidate for burnout? It's on caregiverdave.com. Just oh, there you go. Look for the, uh, the burnout quiz on there. Awesome. Well, um, again, if they want to get a hold of you, uh, you have a website, uh, email. TheLifeRecoveryCoach.com, info at TheLifeRecoveryCoach.com. You can book in a consultation. We, you know, really encourage people, just call us. We'll help you decipher what's going on, what direction you need to go. We'll send you on a a path to recovery um, and happy to do that at any time. Awesome. Well, I thank you for this resource because I know a lot of people and sometimes you just don't know where to uh, send them, especially when they say, oh, I can't, can't go to counseling. I don't have any money. I don't have insurance, blah, 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 blah. You know, but um, we try you. to figure it out and at okay. least give you resources. So thank but you. The first step is asking for help. That's right. And that is the biggest, hardest first step. <laughs> oh, exactly. Because yeah. it's yeah. easy to deny the reality of your situation 
But once you accept there's a problem, that comes with wanting to change. Yeah, I always get a kick out of the people who come to me and tell me about this person that they really want help. I says, well, why aren't they calling me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Much, yeah, Appreciate thank it. you for having us. Thank you and just a reminder to everybody watching that uh, all these interviews are recorded podcasts and I have a free membership website, uh, caregiverdave.com. Lots of tools and resources and free gifts on there. Check it out. We have a community of 34,000 caregivers. And if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google search engine algorithms. So thanks again to everybody out there. Thank you, Dave and Dana, um, for tuning in every Wednesday and making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. So until next week, same time, same channel. May God richly bless you. Bye-bye. Anytime we suffer loss, we grieve. And a lot of people don't realize what even the grief process is. But it could be five to seven steps ranging from denial. I don't believe this is happening. Anger. Oh my gosh, I'm so upset this is happening. To a form of bargaining. How can I get out of this? To depression which is a very serious thing because that often leads to suicide. And then finally, finally, after you realize you have no more control over your situation and you're totally okay with the new normal that it brings, that wonderful, wonderful place called acceptance. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Keep breathing, take it in and let it out. Keep breathing, it's gonna be okay. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.